0: My name is Cade McDonald. I'm here this morning uh, with my wife Tess here on the front row. If we haven't got a chance to meet you, we'd love to meet and chat after the service and get to know you guys. Um, We've already been so blessed and encouraged by getting to hear the Sunday school this morning, by getting to sing praises to our God together. Um, As I said, my name is Cade. I'm originally from Austin, Texas, is where I grew up my whole life. My wife Tess is from State College, Pennsylvania. We, went, we met in college in Illinois outside Chicago, went to seminary in North Carolina, had a very brief stint up in Burlington, Vermont, and now are living out in Bayside, Queens. So we send you greetings from North Shore Baptist Church, where I serve as the youth director there, and where your pastor, Harry, used to serve uh, in this very role back in the day. I'm so glad to be opening God's Word with you all this morning. Look forward to diving in. So as we come now, to the word, let's say a prayer together once more. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for all the encouragement that you've already given us in this service. Lord, that if we were to stop now and say amen and walk out, Lord, we've already been blessed by your presence here among your people. But we pray, God, now we know that every word that comes from your mouth is our holy food. And so we pray, God, that you would feed us now through the scriptures. May the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, when Tess and I were first dating, I remember how fun and how enjoyable it was to take each other back to each other's hometowns and, you know, show each other the places of great significance, so to speak. I'd take her on trips to Texas, and, and I would drive her past my high school. I would show her my childhood house, and perhaps the capstone, I would even show her the amazing Texas restaurant of Whataburger, and we'd get to sit together and just delight in the glories of Texas with one another. Similarly, Tex, or Tess would take us take us to Pennsylvania and she'd show me, you know, the the fields with with cows and and she'd show me her childhood stomping grounds. She'd take me on a walk past the pond near her home or, or on a walk through the woods and she'd even treat me to ice cream from her favorite creamery in her small town. It's such a joy, as you know, to be able to show people that really matter to you your places of great significance, places where we were formed and shaped, places that mean a lot to us, and places that really matter to one another. Since moving to New York City just four months ago, Tess and I miss all sorts of places from Texas, from North Carolina. We miss certain coffee shops, although the coffee here is quite good. I miss sitting down at my favorite Tex-Mex restaurant. I miss being able to go to the beach or the mountains or my favorite park. And I'm sure for you, for all of us this morning, even if your place is maybe not Texas or Pennsylvania, I'm sure that you can even picture right now in your head places of great significance to you that you could describe in detail and even praise to someone else. Maybe for you, it's like a family lake house or a place that you go for an annual beach trip or a particular hike that your family always returns to. Or or maybe it's just simply your home country or your home state or your home city. Of course, we know that people matter more than place. In fact, places are typically special in our minds because of the people that we've shared them with, right? We've all heard quotes before such as, it is good people who make good places, or a place is only as good as the people in it, or places shape people and people shape places, Whatever your place is, it's clear that particular types of places in our lives are special because of who we share them with. Maybe you can relate to this feeling of, of loving a place and missing a place and longing to be back somewhere. But, but we, in our experience of missing these places, we're not the first people in human history to have that experience, right? Think about even in the ancient story of the Odyssey where Odysseus is on his long and arduous journey and he just can't wait to make it back home to be with his family. In fact, throughout his trials of the journey, what strengthens him along the journey is knowing that he will one day make it home. Or even think about soldiers that are in the trenches of a foreign country and would love nothing more than to be back in the comfort of their living room. Or or even those in prison who would rather be any other place than they currently are. Well, this morning in our passage, Psalm 84, we meet an ancient man who is separated from his favorite place in the world, which is God's place. And he's singing a song, and he's inviting us, his readers, to sing along with him about his pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship God, to worship the Lord in his holy place. This is a place that is obviously very important and special to the psalmist. And because of that, he wants to share that place with us. So let's go to the word now, Psalm 84. This is God's word. To the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, and whose hearts are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. The sermon today is called God's Place. And we're going to see this morning four main questions that the psalmist addresses in our text. Four main questions. Number one, where is God's place? Number two, what is God's place like? Number three, what is it like to be separated from God's place? And number four, why is God's place blessed? That is, where is God's place? What is God's place like? What is it like to be separated from God's place? And why is God's place blessed? So, first, where is God's place? before we get to any of the other questions about what God's place is like, we'd be first helped by asking the question, where even is God's place? What is the place that the psalmist is talking about here in reference to God? Where is God located? Where does he dwell? In verse 1, when the psalmist says, how lovely is your dwelling place, what place is he even talking about? Well, it's true theologically that God is omnipresent as we know. It's it's also true that he's made his presence manifest in particular places at particular times throughout biblical history. Think about in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve are walking with God in that place. Or or God's presence is traveling with the people of Israel as they go through the wilderness in the tabernacle. Or even God's presence dwelling in the special place of the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem. But at the same time, the Bible tells us that God sits in the heavens. So which is it? Is God sitting in the heavens, omnipresent, or is he in these particular places? I hope what you're seeing is the answer is yes. But this particular place that the psalmist was referring to, verse 2, says, my soul longs, yes, faints for the court's So we know that God is in the heavens. We know that he's omnipresent. At the same time, we know that what the psalmist is referring to here is an earthly, physical component of worshiping God in the temple, worshiping God in his place, and knowing from when the psalm was written, that was talking about God's presence in the temple in Jerusalem. So that is the first question of where is God's place. But the second question, what is God's place like It's important to note that obviously the psalmist here loves God's place as we see in verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place? In verse 2 he says that his heart and his flesh sing for joy to the living God. But notice that for the psalmist this is not just sort of like an individualized like private worship service where he's got his AirPods in and he's just praising the Lord, you know, by himself. No, he's gathered with the people of God in the place of God, worshiping him corporately together as a congregation there in the temple. And verse 3 tells us that even other creatures love God's place too, right? Like not just humans, not just the worshipers of God. These physical courts back then are even a place that animals can come into. I don't know what First Baptist is like. I don't know if you guys let the dogs in or or the birds in or or whatnot, but, but this is what was happening in the temple, that animals, birds are coming into God's place and they're welcome there. Think about when Jesus says, if he cares for the birds, how much more does he care for us? So similarly here, if if even animals are welcome in God's place, then certainly we are. And verse 4 encapsulates all of this by saying that blessed is everyone who is in God's place. Young and old, rich and poor, human and even animal. Everyone is blessed in God's place. But here today, we're not experiencing necessarily God's presence in the garden or God's presence in the tabernacle or like the psalmist, God's presence in the temple, are we? Because as we get into the New Testament, the book of John tells us that the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. So as we get at this question of what is God's place, we see that in the New Testament, shedding light on this psalm, that that Jesus becomes the physical manifestation of God's presence with us, with his people. Amen? But we know that Jesus died and he left earth. Thankfully, that's not the end of the story. There's more to the story than that. But, but Jesus is not like here, physically, tangibly, like walking around, singing songs of praise, worshiping, or being even the one preaching this morning, right? He died and left earth. But, but when he left, he sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in his people's hearts. And now we, you and I, everybody here who worships the Lord Jesus Christ— has the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We are the individual places where his presence dwells, but not sort of like these individual isolated islands with our AirPods in. But God's presence, God's place is with believers. As it says in Ephesians, we are all like living stones being built into a spiritual house with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And so what is that place today? Where is that place Here's a hint. Right here, right where you are sitting right now, the assembled gathering of a local church today, this is the physical place on earth where God's presence is manifested. Jesus says where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So in a very real way, that place, not this amazing building, that place is the people of God gathered to worship him. That place is the first Baptist church of the city of New York. And we all, even in this service this morning, we're already experiencing the the blessings of God's place that the psalmist here speaks of, right? Like love and longing and singing and joy and even more singing, right? We are blessed in God's place through our fellowship in the Lord with our brothers and sisters as we encourage one another. We are blessed in God's place through singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, We are blessed by God's presence in God's place as we hear our brothers and sisters belt out praises to our God even if we're not the best singers, right? We are blessed in God's place through our prayers of confession and thanksgiving and adoration and supplication to our God. We're blessed in God's place through the reading of the scriptures. We're blessed in God's place by the preaching of the word. As one author says, I don't remember 99% of the meals I've eaten but they've all kept me alive. God uses faithful, forgettable sermons to beautify his bride. We are blessed in God's place by seeing baptisms. I was just admiring your amazing baptismal back there. I don't know how you, you have to like move things out of the way if you're gonna have a visual of someone getting baptized, but we're blessed through seeing people's baptisms and remembering our own. We're blessed in God's place by feasting in our hearts by faith upon Christ. As we take the Lord's Supper together. So, from the very beginning of the Bible, from the garden all the way to now in the church, God's place has always been lovely and filled with blessings for His people. But as amazing as God's place is, what happens when God's people are separated from God's place? Question three What what is it like to be separated from God's place? Well, thankfully for us, the psalmist wrote about this exact experience in verses 5 through 8. You see, that for the Jews who didn't live in Jerusalem at this time, they did not exactly have the easiest access to God's place. Like today, we as Christians, we get to pray whenever we want. We get to take daily stops in the courts of the Lord. We get to read his word whenever we want, Right? We get to attend our local church every Sunday, but for them, they had to make very long and difficult pilgrimages to the city to worship. It, it was a journey that would have been miles and miles with extreme heat and little water and certainly tons of exercise. So can you guys imagine like, if we had to walk from here to Brooklyn to worship God. Like, I'm new around here. Obviously, I don't really know how far things are apart from each other, but like, here to Brooklyn, walking to worship God, that would be crazy. Every time you want to worship God, you got to walk to Brooklyn. That's sort of like what these saints experience, which is why in verse 5, he says, "'Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion.'" And so even though these Old Testament saints were not always physically in God's place, their strength was still found in God, knowing that their hearts are very much connected to God's place. We learn in verse 6 that these saints had to pass through this deserted area called the Valley of Baca, which we don't know a ton about what the Valley of Baca was, but basically we can deduce that it was this waterless valley on their way to Jerusalem to worship. As I said, they had no water. Jerusalem in Israel at this time was hot and dusty, and this was a difficult journey. They made the most out of this terrible experience by making the Valley of Baca a place of springs, These worshipers did not dry up in the desert on their way to worship God, but they looked to the sustaining and the refreshing waters of God's grace. Now, I'm sure as you can imagine, on any kind of journey that we go on, we typically go from having strength To having weakness, right? I don't know if you guys are road tripping people or if you like road tripping or not, but this past summer, Tess and I went on this massive eight week road trip all around the country. And, and for me, like, I've got some issues where if I don't have food or coffee, I can very easily start deteriorating and, like, melting down and, like, my blood sugar is low and things are getting testy. And, and thankfully, Tess is usually the first person to, like, alert me to this by asking me, you know, questions like, hey, you know, maybe we should stop for a snack. Like, maybe let's pull off to the side and get something at a gas station, right? Um, praise God for godly wives. But, but verse 7 tells us that on this journey that these saints are going for from strength to strength as they make their way to their final destination. They're not going from strength to weakness. They're going from strength to strength so they'd be able to appear before God in Zion. They found strength knowing that they were going to God's place where they could appear before him, where, they could, where the Lord would hear their prayers. This is what it looked like for, for these folks to be separated from God's place. They longed to be back They couldn't wait to be back in God's place with God's people, worshiping God. But they relied on his strength for the journey. Well, for us today, thankfully, we're not having to walk to Brooklyn to worship God. In fact, I really hope that you've never walked to Brooklyn before from here. But has anyone here ever experienced the feeling of being separated from God's place? Homebound members of local churches know this feeling quite well of wanting to attend church, of wanting to worship God and be with his people, and yet feeling stranded and isolated at their homes. But in some small way, even if you're not homebound, in some small way, we all definitely knew this experience of separation during COVID lockdowns, right? Whether it was a few weeks or a few months or, or even longer, Zoom was just not the same. Zoom sermons, Zoom fellowship, all that we tried to do during that time was just not the same, right? But, but thankfully, we're not dealing with that anymore. We're not on Zoom anymore. But, but we still know this small experience each week when we go from here and we separate and we spread out across the city to all of our different places, longing to be back, longing to be with God's people again. And once again, if you think about it, the psalmist is not the only one who knows what this separation was like in the Bible. Once again, think all the way back to the Garden of Eden, when, when Adam and Eve sinned and they're kicked out of the garden, they're separated from God's place. Or the wandering wilderness generation who's making their way on this long journey and they never actually got to enter into God's place in the promised land, separated from his place. Or even later in the Old Testament, when Jerusalem was conquered, when the temple was destroyed, and God's people are taken into exile, once again separated from his place. The think too about Jesus, the eternal Son of God, who had been existing for all of eternity in perfect relationship with God, in the perfect place, up until the point of his incarnation when he left his eternal throne, When Jesus came to the earth, when he took on human flesh, he experienced separation from the perfect place that he'd known for all of eternity up until that point, right? He lived the perfect life of obedience. He would have been quite familiar with Psalm 84, loving God's place. And yet he came and in our place, he went to the cross He experienced the Father's wrath being poured out on him for our sins. And he cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus knew this feeling of separation from God and his place that Adam and Eve experienced, or that the people of Israel experienced, or that the psalmist here experienced, or what you and I might sometimes experience. But our experiences of separation are nothing compared to how indeed our Savior was separated from God's perfect place for us. And praise the Lord. That Jesus endured the cross, that he experienced death, but that he rose from the dead so that you and I, those who have placed our faith in him, would never have to be separated again. And that Jesus now sits at the right hand of God and that he offers his salvation freely and fully to all who put our trust in him by faith. Amen. That's good news for Christians today. Never again separated from his place. The bad news is that for those who remain in their sins, for those who don't trust in Christ for salvation, for those who are not hiding themselves in the blood and in the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone, all the goodness that you experience right now on earth or in this church is the closest to God's place you will ever get. And all the bad that you experience right now Is just a small foretaste of being separated from God and from his place. Not just in a temporary sense, but for all of eternity. For the Christian, the flip side of these things are true. All the bad that we experience today is the closest to separation from God and his place that we will ever experience. The closest that Christians will ever get to hell is right now. And all the good that we experience in this world and in this church Is but a foretaste of our eternal home, as we sang about this morning, where there will be no more pain, no more crying, no more separation from God and from His place forever. We still have one more question to consider from the Psalm. And that's question four Why is God's place blessed? Why is God's place blessed? If you think about it, the psalmist could have potentially had a better earthly life if he just would have like, left the people of God and just gone out and you know, lived his life for riches and pleasure and his own personal advancement in the world. In an earthly sense, he could have pursued a technically better life. But the psalmist knew to his very deepest core that a day with God's place is better than anything else that this life has to offer. Look at verse 10. He says as much. He says that a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. So if we take this a thousand days literally here, which I don't think that's how he's saying it, but if we take this a thousand days literally, he's saying that he would rather spend one day in God's house with God, with his people than three years anywhere else. I'm not sure about you, but I don't know if I've ever had like a single standalone day in my life that I would legitimately trade for a whole nother three years of my life. Like, even if it's like the best birthday ever, the best vacation day ever, or like the single best day of your honeymoon, whatever it is, would you trade genuinely an entire other three years of your life for that one day? Friends, this is how good and how blessed God's place is, that he would rather spend 24 hours there than 24,000 hours anywhere else. And when we see the loveliness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and of the loveliness of his place here in the church, we'll gladly make that trade too. A day in your courts is better than a 1,000 elsewhere. Being in God's place is better than having a large salary It's better than buying a house, it's better than marriage, it's better than having kids or having someday grandkids. Being in God's place is better than food and it's even better than coffee. And to take things up a notch, it's not only just a time comparison that the psalmist is making here, but also a job comparison. Look down in the second half of verse 10 where he says, he would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of his God than dwell in the tent's of wickedness. So in other words, he's saying that God's place is so glorious that he would rather have the most bland and menial job of being a doorkeeper in God's house than doing anything else anywhere else. And why is this? Is it because of the lovely sights and smells? Is it because of the cool birdhouses that they have set up in there? No. And this is what is key to this psalm is that the psalmist is rooting the blessedness of God's place in who God is and in what he does. Look down there at verse 11. He tells us that the Lord God is a sun and a shield. That he is the, the light that brings both illumination and vision and warmth. But not only that, that he's the shield that protects them from evil and from all of our enemies. Verse 11, the Lord bestows favor and honor. And no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So when you and I go through hardships, trials, whatever that looks like for us, how easy is it to think of them as our Heavenly Father holding out on us or withholding something from us? Like, God, why am I experiencing this right now? Like, I just want to have X, Y, or Z. Why are you holding out on me, Lord? Or maybe it's the opposite, like, God, why did you actually give me X, Y, or Z? I just wish that this could go away. But friends, God knows whatever you are going through right now, whatever your trial is, whatever your suffering is, it is no surprise to him, and your God is not holding out on you. Counterintuitively, I think we can say from this psalm that the Lord is blessing you through whatever that trial may be. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God is making us more like him. He's making us love him more and to rely on him and depend on him more through those trials. And finally, verse 12, he says, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So the blessedness of God's place is all rooted in the character and the works of God himself and nothing else else. The psalmist doesn't simply love and rejoice in and find strength in God's place because it's just amazing in and of itself, but because of God. The worshipers that are separated from God's place, why do they miss God's place? God himself. This is true not only with the garden or the tabernacle or the temple This is true not only with Jesus' presence or with the Holy Spirit's presence, but even today right here in this assembled gathering of this local church, this church is blessed because of the triune God. If a church tries to be the church without God, it becomes a living hell. If we try to be Christians without God, we become walking demons. Even if heaven itself is heaven without God, it becomes a living hell. So question for us today, do we recognize that God's place is so lovely because of God? Do we want to go to heaven, not just for the golden streets, not just for the lack of sin, not just to be reunited with the loved ones who have passed away, but for God himself? Would we rather spend one singular day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere? Are we happy to be a doorkeeper in his place than anywhere else? Would we be rather in the highest possible position without God or the lowest possible position with him? In our lives, it's so tempting, like the psalmist, I'm sure, to think that we could have a better existence like out there in that place doing this instead of that with those people instead of these people. But friends, the singular blessing of our lives is not our money or our jobs or our friends or our families or our status, our pleasure, our pursuits or our goals or even our dreams coming true. The singular blessing of your life is God himself. And friends, as this church, God has entrusted First Baptists, with the amazing stewardship of displaying his glory as a church, both to one another and to the watching world and ultimately to the nations. God's gloriousness is like the diamond of great price. And this church is like the prongs to display his beauty. So as we come to a close, I have another question that might arise in our minds from studying a psalm like this. What do we do when God's place doesn't feel as amazing as it sounds here. One of my friends, Drew Boa, wrote about this one time, and he said this, my heart does not always yearn for the church. It doesn't always yearn to go to the hospital either, especially if there's been a breach of security and the psych patients are loose. Similarly, the people of the church have crippling weaknesses, contagious illnesses, chronic pain, And no lack of ill-adjusted personalities. But the church is the medicine for our arrogance and our narcissism. Spend enough time with the unlovely and you discover that you are one of them. Only when we realize our sickness can we begin to be healed. Christ recognizes the church's shortcomings far better than we can. And yet he is lovingly committed to cherish and to care for her forever. This is what makes him marvelous. And friends, Christ and his church, this is our ride home. This is our ride home to his final and forever place in heaven. One of my favorite Christian songs right now is called Glory Land. It sings all about this eternal hope that we get to have with God forever and ever. And the song says this, If you have friends in Glory Land who left because of pain, thank God up there, they'll die no more. They'll suffer not again. So weep not, friends. I'm going home. Up there will die no more. No coffins will be made up there. No graves on that bright shore. The lame will walk in glory land. The blind up there will see. The deaf in glory land will hear. The dumb will talk to me. The doctor will not have to call. The undertaker, no. There'll be no pain up there to bear. Just walk the streets of gold. We'll need no sun in glory land. The moon and stars won't shine. For Christ himself is light up there. He reigns of love divine. Friends, this is where God is leading us. God's place will one day no longer be our local churches. Soon there will be no more sin, no more Satan, no more death. But we will be around the throne worshiping God in his courts forevermore with joy And friends, praise the Lord. We get a lot more than just one day in his courts, amen? We all as the church will be worshiping him forever and ever. So in the meantime, let's commit to loving his place here on earth and building up his place for his glory, the local church. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word in this psalm. We thank you That your word comes to us in whatever circumstances and situations we're in today. Lord, we pray that your word would bring light and would bring hope and would bring comfort to God. That we would look forward to that day when we get to be with you forever and ever. We thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.